Now I just want, by way of refreshing your mind, those of you who were with us last week, to read just a few verses from Psalm 91, and then go to the New Testament, and then come back to the Old. First in Psalm 91, this wonderful psalm that is all about this matter of covering. Now don't let those familiar words slide over you. Think about it. He that dwelleth in the secret place, the covert of the Most High shall abide, remain, continue, stay under the shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty will come between all hostile forces and that child of his. Then it goes on, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover thee with his pinions and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and a buckler. Now if we will turn to the New Testament, to John chapter 15, the 15th chapter of John, verse 1. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it, that it may bear more fruit. Already ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, so neither can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same beareth much fruit. For apart from me ye can do nothing. Abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. Even as the Father hath loved me, I also have loved you. Abide ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. 
These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. And then back to the Old Testament again, Psalm 118, Luther's favorite psalm. 118th Psalm. Now here is another wonderful psalm all about covering. Once you start to see this matter of covering, it seems that almost every other page of the Bible is all about it. I suppose that's true every time God begins to show you something. But here it is, this wonderful psalm begins with the mercy of the Lord, or the steadfast love of the Lord, if you have got the um, Revised Standard Version, or if you've got the Revised Version, English or American, then it is the loving kindness of the Lord. But it's this wonderful word, mercy. This Hebrew word which is so hard to put into English. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy, steadfast love, endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron say now that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Will you note that remarkable um, uh, statement, let them now that fear the Lord. Many of us would not associate the fear of the Lord with the mercy of the Lord. But it says, let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. In other words, they've become so sensitive to divine things that they recognize the greatness, the infinity of the mercy of the Lord. Out of my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord is on my side among them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorn. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. Thou didst thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare
the works of the Lord. So we once again just pray this evening because of the complexity of this subject. Lord, we cast ourselves upon Thee. Thou canst give power and ability and simplicity and clarity so that, Lord, this matter begins to open up to us through the ministry of Thy Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, we thank Thee that we are all by faith abiding now in our Lord Jesus Christ, hiding ourselves in Him, and looking to thee to meet with us this evening in his name. Amen. Well, now, I'm not going to go over um, uh, last week's introductory study to this whole subject of covering, because I want to take up a matter which we finally sort of just briefly surveyed, last week, which is the heart of the whole thing. You remember last week I just pointed out that this was a, a vitally important and necessary subject overlooked by the vast majority of Christians. And it's just because it is overlooked that there are so many casualties in the work of God, not only amongst young believers, but more especially amongst those who are older in the Lord. Let no one think that they're safe in this matter. Not one is saved. Not even the Apostle Paul was saved. No one is saved. Unless we first see the danger that surrounds us and always hide ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ in a deliberate, defined act of faith day by day. And whenever we feel a threatening from the enemy, or from other things, circumstances, problems, where we feel somehow or other the enemy's in it, a definite and deliberate act to hide ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. This matter, therefore, for the walk of the believer, for the work of the believer, for the warfare of the believer, is absolutely vital. Now, last week we rambled through the Old Testament tremendous number of scriptures I suggest to any who are not here that you listen to the tape on that matter and see for yourselves the vastness of this whole matter I cannot, I will just repeat this from last week I cannot um, profess to have understood this matter it is one of the most profound and mysterious subjects in the whole word of God for the simple reason that it's not just to do with time. Covering is not just to do with sin. And the sooner we realize that, the better. It goes right back before sin was even found. The anointed cherub that covers. Above the glory of God, a covering. Now don't ask me to explain that I'm but a student myself in this matter. All I can tell you is this, that there is beyond us an infinity in this subject. And therefore, it behoves every one of us, I think, to be very humble in the presence of this matter. 
and to recognize together that we're all learners. Well now then, what does covering mean? It is summed up in a New Testament phrase which is used over 200 times. The little phrase, in Christ, in Christ, the child of God, the believer, the sinner saved by the grace of God, has been placed by the sovereign power of God in his son. That's your position. If you're a child of God, if you are a believer, if you've been born of the Spirit, if you've been saved through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, then whether you know it or not, your position is in Christ, not just a subject of Christ, not just a person related to Christ, but your position is in Christ. That's where you are in the sight of God. You are in Him. He is not a child of God who is not in Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not in Christ. For it is synonymous. To be a Christian is to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you. That is synonymous. It is impossible to be a child of God and not in Christ. The other side, the other hand, let's just say this, that if you are a child of God, you're in Him. I don't want to labor that point, but if only God could cause it to dawn upon you, this whole subject of covering would immediately start to become clear. Last week we went through a ramble in the Old Testament from Genesis right through to Malachi. And the result was, I'm quite sure, I hope, that people were quite bewildered. Because it seemed a terrific wealth of material. Something tremendous was behind it. God seemed to be almost, to put it almost irreverently, harping on this matter again and again and again, on everything he did. He spoke of covering, covering, covering. We even find the cherubim had those pairs of wings, three pairs of wings, two of which they used for covering, face and feet, and only one pair for flying. It is a most extraordinary But it all starts to become clear when you understand that every true believer is in Christ. That is your position. To be in Christ is to be covered. Do you understand? To be in Him is to be covered. You are covered by what he is, his holiness, his purity, his spotlessness, his righteousness. All that he is before God covers you. You are in him. If you are in him, you can't be seen out of him. <laughs> it may all sound 
rather odd that when you start to think about it for a while, this is the point. Why do so many Christians have consciences of evil? Why do many Christians have hangdog expressions? Why do many Christians continually carry around this body of death, moaning all the time about it? Because they've not seen that they're in Christ. But you see, many Christians, especially in a company like this, will say, oh yes, of course, that's kindergarten. But they don't understand it. They think it's kindergarten, but we've never seen what it means. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that we're in his holiness, covered by him. When God looks, he sees Christ. When heaven looks, he sees Christ. We're in him. We're hidden in him. We're covered by what he is. Now, of course... This is what it means to be justified. It's so simple. It's quite fundamental. But don't think that anything fundamental is to be left behind. The foundation governs every single part of the building and carries all the weight of the building. And so, you see, this whole matter is tremendous. Now suddenly we begin to find all these Old Testament pictures and all this Old Testament symbolism starts to mean something. Let me just go through a list of things at random. I haven't gone through a concordance, which I perhaps ought to have done, and taken out every single um, thing, but just at random, as it came to my memory, all these kind of pictures and uh, this Old Testament symbolism is summed up in this matter of being in Christ, covered in him. He is fortress, stronghold, strong tower, Oh, can't you think of all kinds of scriptures that come to you? You remember some months ago we showed some slides on Mathada? You remember that? In Hebrew, Mitsuda means stronghold. Mathada is just uh, a variation of it. Christ is that to the believer. You can get right into him, hidden in him. A whole city can be hidden in that great rock. His fortress, his stronghold. He is strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. He is refuge. He is the wings under which we have come to dwell. Wherever you find wings in Scripture, it speaks of them again and again in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, I can think of, where it speaks a number of times of wings. In many of the Psalms, it speaks of wings. But it's all the same thing. We've come to come to dwell under his wings. His wings are like a protection that cover us in Christ. Shield and buckler. I don't know if everyone here understands what a buckler is. I don't really understand it fully myself. But a shield is one kind of shield and a buckler is another kind of shield. So really he's shield and shield. Shield and buckler. Rock in whom I take refuge. House. His house. Now that's something to think about. He is the house of God into which I come. Psalm 27. One thing have I asked, that will one thing have I desired, that will I ask, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What to do? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to consider his temple. When you're in Christ, you find that he is the house of God. The house of God isn't a building. 
The house of God isn't an organization. The house of God isn't an institution. The house of God is a person. It is Christ. We come into him as the temple of God. The Lord Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He spoke of that great building, they thought, called the temple. But in fact, he was speaking of his body, of something that was going to go into death, into burial, and into resurrection. And when it came out in resurrection, was going to be the house of God, the temple of God, forever. In him. Oh, so many, those of you who are older in the Lord and you know your Bibles, think of the many scriptures there are about um, uh, when I came into the sanctuary, then I understood. I saw thy ways, O oh God, in the sanctuary. The sanctuary is Christ. In him you are hidden, covered in him. Do you see? All these Old Testament pictures start to uh, take on meaning. The tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle? It had curtains all round. What were the curtains inside? They were of blue, of scarlet, of purple, of, uh, of white. They all spoke of Christ, of his redeeming work, of his heavenly nature, of his kingly nature. Of his absolute righteousness. But then over that there was another covering. Of badger's skin. Or first of goat skins. And then over that another covering. Of badger's skins or seal skins. We're not quite sure what they were. But covering after covering. Every single thing speaks of some aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle is the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people say the tabernacle is the church. This is not wholly true. The tabernacle speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his, the aspects of his being, of his character, of his nature, of his work. And you and I have come into the tabernacle of God. Oh, so we could go on and we could go on. I think of the word pavilion. Now this is a word spoken of more of a palace. He will hide me secretly in his pavilion. In another place it says, he will hide me in his pavilion from the strife of tongues. Like a king taking someone into the palace and hiding him in the secret place of a strongly fortified and guarded palace, a pavilion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a pavilion into which you and I can come and be absolutely safe and feast with the king himself. Hiding place. You know many of those place, points in the scripture where he's spoken of as a covert. A covered, a covered place, something that's sort of secret. The secret place of the Most High. Well, all these scriptures begin to take on meaning when you understand that they are all symbolic and all in picture form, setting forth the fact that the believer, the child of God, has been placed by the sovereign power of God in his Son. And however we like to see it, all different aspects of that work, but it all some, it's all finally coming to the same thing. But there is something far more, and oh, how I wish that certainly some of the older ones and you younger ones as well could get hold of it so that you may, when the older ones go to glory, if the Lord tarry, you can take their place. There's something else about this matter of being covered, and we find it in Leviticus. 
and the first seven chapters of Leviticus. Now, I know just what some young believers can feel because I can remember m myself as a young believer first starting to read Leviticus and dying a million deaths. <laughs> I couldn't think what all that business about this offering and the law of this offering and then that offering and the law of that offering and the other offering and the law of that offering, what on earth it had to do for us in the 20th century. Page after page, chapter after chapter, about details about each of these offerings. What was it all? And it was obviously very, very important. It was years afterwards that I began to understand how vital, how practical all this business about offerings. There are five offerings in those um, chapters. There's the burnt offering. There is the meal offering, there is the peace offering, there is the sin offering, and there is the trespass offering. And every one of those Christ is. He is the fivefold offering for us. He is the fivefold sacrifice for us. And it covers every single aspect of our relationship with God and with man. In other words, we're covered by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're covered by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The offering up of himself once for all time. For instance, what is the burnt offering? This has not so much to do with sin. The burnt offering is all to do with service, with worship. Some people think that all you've got to do is consecrate yourself to God and fling yourself into the work of God. That's the surest way you'll get uncovered. How does God receive anything? He burns it up. He takes the whole and consumes it. Is there anyone ready for such? But our Lord Jesus Christ has been offered up as the burnt offering. Listen to him. Lo, I come to do thy will. I delight to do thy will. O oh God, my ear hast thou digged or opened service. God has got his ear. We heard about that on Sunday morning. Service. The burnt offering. But you know my, my service must always fail. Why, if I had the zeal of the Apostle Paul, or if I were to labor like he did, or if I had the revelation and understanding and passion of, of the Apostle John, still I would need the Lord Jesus Christ as my burnt offering. I couldn't plead anything of myself. I couldn't say, oh God, see me. See what I've offered to yourself. See how devoted I am. The further I go, the deeper I go with God, the more I must plead the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my burnt offering. No service from me is acceptable apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The meal offering? What is the meal? It speaks of humanity. God mixes this in with the other offerings always. Because it's meal, not meat. Meal. And it speaks of the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has anyone got perfect humanity? No. Oh, this kind of service we find so often in Christian circles. Mechanical, cold, hard, legal, according to regulation. It's not human. But the one thing we see about the Lord Jesus Christ is humanity. 
the thing that shines through him when God is most revealed in him as God is his humanity. But how can I know that? The Lord Jesus was offered for that as that for me. And he is the only one who can bring that kind of humanity into me as the new man. If I try to bring my old nature in and polish it up and give, sort of rehash it and somehow present it to God as a new kind of humanity, it's an awful mess. Awful mess. But God can produce something in me as I take the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ as the new man. But peace offering, what was the peace offering? The peace offering was the one offering that we all shared. If you took the offering to the temple in the old days, you went in, you sat down and ate it. First the priests had their portion, then the Levites had their portion, and then it was handed back to you and you sat down in the temple courts and had a jolly good feast. You and your family. It was called the peace offering. And do you know why it was called the peace offering? Not only because it spoke of peace between you and God, but peace between you and your brother and your sister. You could commune together. You could participate together. You shared together. Oh, do you know Christ covering you as the peace offering? Our relationships are continually subjected to pressure. We have an enemy. All the time he breathes into our ear insinuations about one another. All the time he's trying to press things, relationships, to breaking point. Woe betide anyone who rests on the kind of line, well, I like so-and-so. He and I will never get parted. She and I will never get, to par get parted. Because we're buddies, we're friends. You will find that when the devil gets to work, the the, the dearest natural relationship will come to breaking point. There is only one way through, covering. The Lord Jesus Christ covers us because he was offered as our peace offering and it is he that we share. It is himself. Who is this offering that is offered up and given back to us to eat? It is Christ. So as I offer up Christ, as I take it back into my hands what God has offered for me, I share him with you, and you share him with me. Our relationship is Christ. Our unity is Christ. We don't agree to agree. We don't just try to make our opinions the same. We hold to the oneness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is covering. And then there is the sin offering. If someone's committed sin, of course we all understand that. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sin offering. But what about the trespass offering? In these democratic days, when there are such cockeyed ideas all over the place, you find that many Christians get this idea, God won't hold me responsible for doing something that I didn't even know was sin. But that's just where you're wrong. You are just being subjective. As if all that sin is what you know is sin. God help you. If you knew what sin really was, you'd probably go into a mental home. It is in the mercy and grace of God that we don't understand the full capacity of sin. That we don't understand what we're capable of. As human beings, we don't even understand what's inside us. The trespass offering was this, that when a person 
sin unwittingly, there was still an offering. When a person sins, they sin. It speaks of God passing over sins because people didn't know. But there were still sins. Just because they didn't know it. Do you understand? In other words, this is a thing that comes down again. Sometimes we come to a meeting and it's so heavy and it's so dark. And do you know there's unwitting sin? And there's not a single soul in the company that can hold the Lord Jesus up as trespass offering. We have found again and again that in the brother's time, sometimes on Sunday morning, sometimes elsewhere, when there's been a sense of heaviness, when we've pleaded the Lord Jesus Christ as trespass offering and peace offering, immediately the atmosphere breaks. How do you explain that? Is it psychological? How do you explain it? If it isn't, then it's a matter of covering. Sin has been committed. People have talked unwisely. People have prayed unwisely. Someone's done something unwise. Because we're all bound up together, we infect one another. The invisible forces around us, they know all about it. Ha! They say we've got them. And they come in like a flood. And what do people do? As soon as a heaviness comes, they say, Oh! So-and-so. Oh, we do blame flesh and blood. We really do blame flesh and, flesh and blood. I know I'm just as guilty, probably more so than others. Oh, how we blame flesh and blood. We take hold of people and we say, well, it's so and so. They pulled their socks up. It would be so different. Or oh, such and such. Such and such. If we hadn't sung that hymn at the beginning, that dreadful hymn at the beginning, it would have all been different. And then we blame so-and-so because so-and-so chose that hymn. And it's nothing to do with flesh and blood at all. And so roots of bitterness begin. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's to do perhaps with something that no one knows about in a particular life, and that life themselves don't even know. They don't even understand that they've unwittingly sinned. Fivefold covering. Now, isn't that amazing? It covers something not to do with sin at all. Service. Worship. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritually intelligent Worship or service. That kind of thing. And comes right down to sin committed unwittingly. <clears throat> now that is what it means to be in Christ. It means that God has given us a salvation so great, so tremendous, so infinite, that not a single contingency, not a single emergency, not a single avenue of Satan need to be opened up, or opened up, as it were, needs to remain open, let's put it that way. Not a single thing, because he has given us such a sacrifice, such a covering, we're covered, we're covered. Oh, how I long, how I wish that there were those amongst us who could pray in this way, who by the Spirit of God knew when to take the Lord Jesus' burnt offering, who knew when to take the Lord Jesus' peace offering, 
who knew when to take him as trespass or sin offering. You can only know that by anointing. But that is prayer. Some people are so insensitive and so dull that the only way they would know the devil was amongst us was if he appeared physically in front of their very eyes and gazed at them. <laughs> then they would say, oh, we must take the covering. <laughs> How tragic that really is. If we were alive to God, if we were alive through the Spirit of God, there would be times when we know there's something going on here and the only answer is the Lord Jesus. It is a question of covering or uncovering. We don't know what's happening. I could keep you regaled for a, literally an hour or more with stories from our history of this kind of thing we have known over various gatherings, meetings, relationships and other things where we've seen clouds and, and where most majority of this company don't even know how it was shifted. Because it was all done behind the scenes. And that's the only way it can be done. Covering. Of course, there are three things, I don't know how to call them things, but three things, subjects perhaps, that we find in the Word of God which sum up in the New Testament, which sum up this whole matter of being in Christ in many ways. The first is the name of the Lord. Just, just look at these scriptures. We did mention this last week, but I do want to give you the scriptures for this. The name of, of Christ, John 14, verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. If ye shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Now will you turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And whatsoever ye do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this is a very interesting word. It doesn't just mean, now when you, when you pray, tag on the end of your prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By all means, say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you know what it means. But it's not a charm. It's not an open sesame. What does it mean? How do you do all things in the name of Jesus Christ? Not only in word or in deed. So when you give a word, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you have a conversation, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? That might shut some of us up. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we talk. Acts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your shopping in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not being funny. Do your washing up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your cleaning. Caring for the home. Your work. At the office. Or at the college. Your studies. What... Whatsoever ye do, do all in the name of the Lord. What does it mean? Does it mean we become sanctimonious and sort of say to the persons you buy your surf or whatever it is, I am buying it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Because of course not. You understand that as well as I do. But what does it mean? The scripture is not foolish. It says do all, whether in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? It means simply this. You're in him. Do everything from a covered position. 
Now think of that. Do everything from a covered position. Never do the most innocuous job outside of covering. <coughs> Whatever it is, remember there are invisible rays from another world, as we put it last week in illustration, that would hit you and bring you down. Once you're uncovered, do all in the name of the Lord. What does it mean? My, all the members of my body are in Lance Lambert. So everything they do is in the name of the Lord. Word or action, it's Lance Lambert. When I eat, it's Lance Lambert. When I speak, it's Lance Lambert. When I gesticulate, it's Lance Lambert. When I walk, it's Lance Lambert. It's not wrong. He is sitting there, and he's silent. <laughs> he's not, he, he's not, nothing to do with this voice, in that sense at all. He has his own voice. <laughs> and he has his own fellowship, because there in his body is the fellowship of Ron Roberts. Now, everything he does or says is in the name of Ron Roberts. Everything I do or say is in the name of Lance Stanley. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You are in him. You're in him. You can't say now, there's a spiritual side to my life and there's a secular side to my life. There is, of course, my meeting side. When I go, of course, I'm naturally more godly there. And then there is the other side when I get home and put my slippers on and roll down my hair. <laughs> That's my other side. There's no such thing as that. You're either in Christ or out of him. So you cannot do anything outside of him if God has put you in him. God says, remember that. Do everything as being in him. Now, let me remind you of the Old Testament. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10. Proverbs 18 and verse 10, such a well-known uh, verse, proverb, we've quoted it already. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. Well, that's where we are meant to be, in the strong tower, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then take another subject or phrase which we find again and again in the New Testament and which sums up this whole matter, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Christ. It speaks of peace. It speaks of being made nigh to God. It speaks of access, immediate, instantaneous access to God. It speaks of victory. They overcame him, the devil, through the blood of the Lamb. And so we could go on. It speaks of life. Oh, to know life. The life is in the blood. We know the life, eternal life, as continually we know what it is to be under the covering but some people think they can just use the name, the, the, the phrase, the blood of the Lamb, and that's enough. It works a miracle. Not so. 
The scripture has an if. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, not as we see the light, but if we walk in the light as God is in the light, that's objective. We have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now turn back to your Old Testament again. Exodus and chapter 12 and verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And there shall no plague be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Do you know God sees blood upon everyone who is saved by the grace, by his grace. He sees the blood of his son. You don't see it, God sees it. You don't see it, God sees it. And when God sees it, he passes over. You're covered, covered. It's possible to come out from under that covering by not walking in the light. But that's another matter. When we're walking in the light, we remain under covering. It goes on covering us. It goes on cleansing us. The blood. And what a victory it was. What a victory. When the firstborn of Egypt was smitten that night and died, it spelt the end for Egyptian power. The power of Pharaoh and the power of Egypt was broken that night by the blood of the Lamb. Any Hebrew who hadn't got the blood on his house was visited by the angel of death. And any Egyptian that had the blood upon his house was passed over. Think about that. And then there is a third thing about this being in Christ. Not only are we in the name of the Lord, we can use the name of the Lord, not only is the blood of Christ covering us and cleansing us, but there is the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, so very well known to you all. In him there is no sin. Him who knew no sin, rather, God made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him, we often miss that, we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is, God has removed my sin by the blood of the Lamb, by the work of the Lamb, but he's placed me in him where I'm righteous, made righteous, declared righteous, justified, acquitted, covered. Now, of course, go back to the Old Testament again, and Isaiah and chapter 61 and verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. You're in him. In Christ. In him. In his righteousness. So that is the garment of salvation 
Do you know anything about the garment of salvation? Do you know how to use the garment of salvation? Some people come in on a Sunday morning and it's quite clear they've got the spotted garment of their own doings. You can almost see it looking out of their eyes. Oh, they think, it's no good me praising the Lord. And the devil says, quite right. You are hopeless. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And you, oh, God, here I am at your table. Do forgive me. Hardly lift my eyes up. But if you are not living in sin, if you are not living in habitual sin, there is a garment of salvation. What have you done coming into the wedding feast without your garment on? The Lord could be angry and say, out with that person. How dare they come into my presence and think that something of their own doing is going to satisfy me. Have I not provided the garment of salvation? They could have come in in the garment of salvation. And I would have said, you are all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. <laughs> Some people get a terrible shock when the Lord sort of says to them, I don't find anything in you. Do you remember when Balaam had to prophesy about the children of Israel? the most rebellious, in one sense, godless lot you ever saw. There they were, murmuring, complaining, chattering to one another about how they'd like to go back to Egypt and all the reason why God brought them out into the desert. And Balaam said, The Lord says, I see no iniquity in Jacob. Have you ever heard such a thing? Why did God see no iniquity in, in Jacob? Because of the Passover lamb. Their sin was covered. Covered all my unrighteousness. As we say, covered all my unrighteousness. Do you know how to use the garment of salvation? More Christians suffer from depression. And, and in the end, oppression from the enemy because they don't know how to use the robe of righteousness, the garment of salvation. Having been saved by the grace of God, they slip off the garment of salvation and start to walk before God as if they were something. But it's the garment of salvation covered. Well, we must go on. What does it all mean? It means simply this. We are hid with Christ in God. Now let the word sink in. You see, we're so used to the scriptures that it rolls off us like water off a duck's back. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3, For ye died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now when something's hidden, you can't find it. Isn't that so? When something's really hidden like that, it's sort of lost of you. You can't find it. Where is your life? Your life is lost in God. 
hid with Christ in God. Think of that, the infinity of what God is. God has hid your life with Christ in himself. So when the devil comes and says, where is Lance Lambert? I'm going to get him. God says, I'm sorry, you can't find him. He's hid with Christ in me. Now that's just where Peter failed. You see, Peter came out from the covering and said to the Lord, Die, you die, never. And so saying, he contradicted the will of God. Of course it was the natural thing to do. Wouldn't you have done it? If the Lord Jesus said to me, I'm going to die tonight. Wouldn't you have said, never, never. I'll over my dead body. How did he get out of covering? Most people think, ah, oh, well, you see, he was presumptuous. No, he wasn't presumptuous. He was quite spontaneous. It wasn't presumption. What was it then? He contradicted the will of God. You see, some people say ignorance is bliss, but others say ignorance is dangerous. He didn't know what he was doing, and therefore he spoke inadvisedly, and Satan heard it. And he went before God and he said, Peter, Peter, let me have him. And God was unable to say, he's hid with my son in me. He said, all right, he's come out under covering. You have him. And the Lord Jesus said in Luke 21 to uh, uh, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan, as it says in the Revised Version, I think more helpfully, Satan hath obtained thee by request, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, this teaches us one of the biggest lessons. How we can get uncovered. Hid with Christ in God. Something when it's hid, it can't be found except in him. If I want to find you and you're in Christ, I've got to find Christ. Do you understand? I'm going to find you. I find you in Christ. I meet Christ. And isn't it wonderful when the enemy's after you, he comes up against Christ. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire comes between the enemy and the people of God and confuses the enemy so that he can't see. That is covering. Now perhaps you begin to understand why this matter is so vital. Don't you see the whole point of staying where God has put you? Why, you see, and this brings me I am really to the final thing this evening, uh, the final point this evening. We are to abide in Christ. John 15, verse 5, verse 7, abide in me and I in you. Twice he says. Verse 5, verse 7. 
What does it just mean? That somehow I've got to fight through to getting into Christ? No. You abide in him. Now what does it mean to abide in him? The word is remain or stay or continue or dwell. It's... Com it's Continue where God has put you. Stay where God has put you. Where has God put you? He's put you in Christ. Well, don't get out. Stay there. If you have got out, get back. Get back. Immediately. Whatever the cost, get back. Whilst you're uncovered, you are in terrible spiritual danger. Anything can get you. While Sean comes. And that is why the Lord Jesus intercedes. Now, many people have asked me at different times, why does the Lord Jesus intercede, ever live to intercede at the right hand of God? Surely God knows what he's going to do anyway. Of course God knows what he's going to do anyway. Well, surely God can do what he's going to do anyway. Of course God can do what he's going to do anyway. That's not the point. The Lord Jesus intercedes for those who get out of undercovering. Out from undercover. I have prayed for you, Simon. And in that one statement, we have the foreshadowing of the intercession of the Lord Jesus at the right hand of God. Oh, I thank God for the prayers of the Lord Jesus for myself. No wonder the old Puritans used to write whole books on intercession. You never re hear such things today. If you get a book at all, it's upon our intercession. But the, the old Puritans used to write books on the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Because they knew, seeing something of the sovereignty of God, that the only thing that would ever get them finally before his face was the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Left to ourselves, we're so stupid and so dumb and so insensitive that we'll be out from covering straight away. Abide in Christ. To abide in Christ is to remain covered. Abide in me and I in you. We're covered by that. And that's what it means to put on the whole armor of God. You know those words so well in Ephesians 6, from verse 10 to verse 18. But have you ever noticed the little commentary, in one sense, on it, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12 to 14? The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. <coughs> Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and jealousy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now, can you see straight away this little point? That it is, after all, our, the lusts of our flesh, or to put it in a way that perhaps is easier for us to understand what it means, the desires, the natural desires sometimes, legitimate and illegitimate, of the flesh. These are the things that so often entice us and bring us out. 
Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. So that it hasn't got a chance. It's not only the enemy from without, it's the enemy from within. Will you also notice in Ephesians 6 that it says, put on the armor of God? It does say nothing of the kind. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, it is a sobering fact that you can put on 90% of the armor and leave off the one part that the enemy will get you at. There's no point my dressing myself up like a human tank and leaving my helmet off. Sure target for the enemy to blast my head off. There's no point in my taking a shield and not having the breastplate of righteousness. For while I'm shielding off something there, something hits me. And I'm done for. What's the point of being absolutely clad in armor and not having the shoes on? I don't know how, whether most of you realize how vulnerable feet are. If you were in an army with all those people clad in armor, you've only got one of them to tread on your toe and your feet. <laughs> you don't even need the enemy. Your feet are vulnerable unless they're clad. It is so interesting that the scripture speaks of putting on the whole armor, and this is where we all fail. Some of us have got the helmet on, but we haven't got the shield of faith. Some of us have got the shield of faith, but we haven't got the breastplate. Or we haven't got our loins girt strongly with truth, reality. And so we can go on and go on. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Listen, it says this. That we may, thus covered, be enabled to stand and to withstand and having done all to stand. Now, isn't this just another way of saying abide? Abide. Stand. Withstand. Having done all to stand. Now, isn't it interesting? It says having done all. Not having done all, you've marched forward a thousand miles. But having done all, you've stood covered. Because this battle is not a question of going forward. This battle is won by abiding. It's a victory already won which has got to be ratified. And when we see that, it makes a great change. This isn't a kind of victory we've got to go forward. It's a victory we stand still in him. We abide in him. We are covered. And as we remain covered, so it's won. It's ratified. It's expressed. It's manifested. It's registered. Well then, what can we say about all that? We see that there is in Christ absolute safety, absolute security, absolute protection. 
The youngest child of God has no need to fear. Now we have sung a hymn which I don't suppose many really understood or if you do it should have given you a bit of a problem. What did it mean in that verse of that hymn a debtor to mercy alone when it said this in the last verse? Yes, I to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given. More happy but not more secure the glorified spirits in heaven. I see that in some of our uh, hymn books they changed that last line because so few people understood what it meant. What it meant was this. All those people in glory are not more secure than you and I down here. Now if you let that sink into you it will change your whole attitude to Satan, to the enemy and to darkness. You think, but they must be more secure. No. They, of course, are beyond the reach of the enemy, but they're not more secure. You are beyond the reach of the enemy if your life is hid with Christ in God, if you could only see it, if you could only remain under covering. You're as secure as they. Well, think of it. How can the, how can the enemy get hold of you if you're in Christ? He's got to deal with Christ. And therefore, if God says, yes, you can, you can come through Christ, it's going to do something in you that's absolutely marvelous. It's going to be heaven. It's going to work something. It's not in the same category at all as destruction, disintegration, deterioration. More happy. Oh, yes, they are more happy. I think of some we know up there. I say up there, they're probably all around. Because heaven's only another dimension. I think of Auntie Ella. She's more happy. But she's not more secure. And I expect if she can hear me, she says, Amen. I think of others. They are more happy, but not more secure. For where are they, pray? They're in Christ. And where are you in Christ? Are they more in Christ than you? No. Then what is the difference? They, they are those who, as we say, are the dead in Christ. And we are, as it says in the old prayer book, the quick in Christ. There's no difference. Let it sink in. And this is why the devil would blind you and try to make you think that you're a second-class citizen of heaven. But somehow or other, those up there are first-class, and you're second-class. Not so. In the creed, which I hope one day we shall have and be able now and again to say together, we say this, I believe in the communion of saints. What do we mean? We don't mean the communion of living saints on earth. We mean, I believe, in the absolute sharing of the whole. One church, part in the presence of the Lord, the rest on earth. I believe in the communion of saints. The one 
holy church. So you see, there's something very wonderful about this whole thing. You are not more happy than they. I'm not. That's something to come. But you are not less secure. You are only less secure in so far as you come out from undercover. Let the enemy get you out. Let him entice you out. Let him get you to say something ill-advised. Let him get you to do something in darkness. Let him get you to collide with someone and not put it right. Let him get you to contradict the will of God. He's got you out. If you don't know how to get back immediately, you're in for trouble. And you and I have got to learn how to get back, but not only how to get back, we who have responsibility in the work of God, and in the end that shall be every one of us, we must learn how to take Christ as our fivefold offering and plead him for the whole. For those who don't know what they're doing. Do you remember? I must finish. But do you remember that when Job's friends did some very stupid things, said some very wonderful things, but angered the Lord because they got uncovered. So the Lord said to Job, stand back, Job. I'll wipe them out. And then they came to Job. He, the Lord said to them, you don't ask Job to pray for you. And if Job prays for you, I'll hear. So much for democracy. In that sense. They had done something quite wrong. Oh, you said that's quite unjust. No, it isn't. They should never have spoken in the way that they had. They had not suffered like Job. All those wonderful, highfalutin phrases they used about this and this and this. If you read it, it is really rather wonderful. Some of the things those friends said. But it would have been be much better if they'd shut up and, and written a book all of their own. Of course it would have Bildad. We could have the book of Bildad. And we would have those wonderful thoughts from Bildad, nothing to do with Job at all. But to try and apply it to Job's situation, say, Job, you're a sinner, Job, you've done this, this is the reason for it all, Job, so and so and so and so and so. It was Job who had to pray. Oh, God, forgive them. And God said, I will. The children of Israel murmured against the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Stand back! I'll destroy the lot of them. And furthermore, I'll make of you a nation greater and stronger than they. That should have got something out of Moses. If he could have only been enticed, he would have come out and said, Oh, now that's something. I've suffered this lot for 40 years. I think it might be better if they were like me. My type of nature and character. But Moses wouldn't come out from undercover and he said, Lord, you just remember who you are. Just you think what the nations will say when they've heard that you brought them up out of Egypt. And the Lord smiled and thought, Moses is just like me. He's got the same kind of nature as I have. Of course I can't destroy them. Right, Moses, you pray for them and I'll forgive them. And Moses prayed. 
Over a ministry like that that can take hold of Christ in his five, the five-fold aspect of his offering and plead it for all. I've seen believers kept in spiritual life by the secret prayer of people when they should have been struck down. Now I mean that. <coughs> that is the question of Calvary. And the fear of the Lord Well, don't forget then, next week we shall talk further about this subject. We shall next week talk about how we get uncovered, because that is a very practical matter. How? And then if we have time, we shall start to take some of these amazing illustrations in the Old Testament, of which there are so many that we shall only be able to select a few, and leave others for you to read yourselves. We'll see if we can understand a bit more about this whole subject. But let me say this. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray a pattern prayer. And he taught us to pray like this. Last week I spoke about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them who trespass against us. Now, see how it goes on. Lead us not into trial. The New English Bible puts it, don't put us a strong test. But deliver us from the evil one. Very few Christians ever think about that prayer which the Lord gave us a pattern. Every time you pray, say, Father, don't put us to the test. But deliver us from the evil one. What really it means is this. Don't let us get uncovered. Under trial, under temptation, don't let us come out. Oh, Father, preserve us from it. That the enemy doesn't get hold of us because we've got uncovered. Shall we pray? Father, we do pray that thou wilt in some real way write this tremendous subject on our heart. Some of us understand just a little about it, Lord. Others of us, it's altogether new. Lord, we don't want the wrong kind of fear and self-consciousness to come upon us so that spiritually we're inhibited. But, oh Lord, we do need to know what it is to be in thy Son in practice to know the provision which is ours, the fullness which is ours, the blessings which are ours, all that is ours in him, protection, security, safety. Father, hear us. We commit ourselves to thee. Write this lesson indelibly upon our heart. May it be for all of us, Lord, perhaps the beginning of an understanding of this matter, that will stand us in good stead in the days to come. Now let's say that pattern prayer of the Lord Jesus together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever.